Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Josh Johnson, welcome into the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I want to start out by saying that congratulations on your first hour special with Comedy Central, which premiered on June 18th, which was hilarious, by the way. Fantastic work. Let's talk about that. You've been on this career path, this journey as a comic, as a writer for a very long time. So obviously, uh, you know, an overnight success that took however many years to get where you were. Let's talk about it and how this special came about and what folks can expect when they have the opportunity to watch it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the crazy thing is that this coulda, shoulda, woulda, woulda, you know, whatever. I think, I think everything happens and it's perfect time, but you know, we definitely had the special ready to go a year ago Okay, and we were actually going to tape right before lockdown. So then that was that was like a huge like, oh, no, we missed it. You know, like I, I thought that we might get like a slight window. And obviously I'd rather postpone the taping than people get sick or anything. But it was it was in that in that same time frame that like our date was right as lockdowns were starting to happen. And so obviously we had to postpone. And so we postponed a bunch of times until we felt like we could do it safely and like do it well. So then we finally taped it this year and it was, you know, blessed to have a quick turnaround and everything came out right away, which is good. And it is like, yeah, it's a, it's a strange feeling because it's like your hour is the thing you want your entire life and then you get it and your life isn't over. So it's like, I still have like way more life. So now I got to, you know, think about what I'm doing next. <laughs> it's funny because you obviously have had very, very measured success as a comic, as a writer. You started with Fallon and then you made your way over to Trevor. And then somehow magically now you're like traveling the world with him oh, and yeah, yeah. performing. And then you get the special, but it's a labor of love. It has to be when it comes to this and you get the special out because you've done other things before you've been on Netflix. You had some things on there. But this is like the big coup de gras. Like this is what every comedian wants is that hour. Okay, so now you've done it. It's out. People are seeing it. You're getting positive responses, hopefully. Now, what is your headspace now? Like, do you have to go, oh, no, now I've got to do better than that? Are you going to be able to do some touring? Like what happens to you as a comic when you've reached this massive milestone? We, you, you alluded to it a little bit because now you yeah. have... You're very young. You have a lot of life ahead of you. What, like, how do you decide what's next? Like, do you ride the wave for a while? I mean, how do you, how do you mitigate all of this now that it's out? Yeah. I mean, I think that for the most part, I'm, this is going to maybe make me to some people sound delusional. So I'm just prepping you for that. But like everything that I've ever got in my career, I think I wanted it and thought I could get it. Sure. A year or two before. I actually got it. 
So it, it's been a good thing because it's been like, okay, you have a measured amount of believing yourself, but also you're getting humbled by other people being like, no, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. Now you're ready. Like, like, and I think that that, um, that give and take that, that pull and push is, is really healthy for a person because I think that I'm of a mind that like, honestly, only about maybe half of your dreams should come true. Anytime you see someone whose full dreams have come true, they lose their minds. They, like, <laughs> they, they go crazy. They every wind dream, up on TMC. <laughs> yeah. Every dream. No, no. So, you know, I, I think that because I, not to sound un, ungrateful in any way, I'm very appreciative of the people that have faith in me, the people who have given me chances and the people who lift me up. But I think that in my, in my mind's eye for my career, I think I saw the hour coming a bit sooner than it even came. And now we're a year behind that. So I think in my mind a little bit, I've already moved on career wise to what the next couple things are. And, and I think that this, this first special was a good look and good insight into my thought processes and stuff. And most of the special is actually about my relationship with uh, technology and, and, you know, not just, not just social, but like in, in general, as a, like as a human being ruled and, 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 and addicted to screens and everything and trying to take a break from that and what that break looked like is like the main crux of the special, which is, which I think is important. I mentioned the pandemic in it, but I think that there's so much more to uh, what I want to do with comedy and what I bring to the table than, than just that, obviously, because it's a first special and everything. But I think that now I can delve into deeper things about how I feel about uh, life and then also more personal stories about myself can come out now. Yeah, I don't think you're delusional at all. I think that you have to have clear goals in any kind of career path, especially in the creative arts, especially, I think, in the world of comedy, because I have interviewed a lot of comedians and the common thread, the golden thread in that is that you have to set a plan for your life or how you're going to get there, because if you don't, you might just be stuck in one particular place your entire career, or you might get down by the people who feel that you, they don't feel that you're ready, or maybe you don't get past or something like that. You've chosen a very, you know, challenging career. I think comedy, I find fascinating because it's not like any other thing that anybody could do, right? Like an actor, mm -hmm. there's a pretty clear path, right? You may get discovered, you may not. It's a pretty wide pool, but comedy is an even wider pool, I think, because everybody who goes into comedy, I think, has the same goal in mind that they want to get the special or they want to do late night or they want to write. And you've done all of that. So I think the future is bright, Josh, to be honest, because like the sky is the limit at this point. I mean, although, you know, yeah, you've done the special and you've done all that. But now that we've gotten through this and the pandemic, are you going to start touring again with Trevor? Is that the plan or what's kind of the next move as we move into the summertime as we're slowly kind of moving out of this crazy time ish, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the plan is to tour as much as possible. So I, you know, I've been on the road myself a little bit and then I'll be back on the road with Trevor soon. And then, um, even outside of that, I, I had a mixtape come out that was, um, basically what I worked on during the pandemic outside of the material for the hour that you can check out. 
And so that is something that I think I'm going to keep doing as well, because I just I really fell in love with that as a as a general process of like working with musicians and artists and then also working with music in, in general. And so I'm I'm like addicted to that, honestly, that that's like another thing that I'm going to keep doing because it was so much fun and I got to you know really cultivate a lot of relationships that I'm going to keep into the future. And I got to work with people who I've always looked up to. So, you know, Mike Realm, executive produced and then Groovebox, who's in Chicago, is on like four tracks and just kills all of them. And then in the future, we're just going to all keep working together. You know, I worked with Point Lobo on mixing and mastering. And then I I actually, like, Point Lobo did the arrangement for the funk track. So you hear Wayne Tucker in there, who's in Brooklyn. And you hear him on the horns and his voice. But, you know, the the general arrangement was was point lobo and so i'm learning so much about music and i'm and i think that the way that i'm learning about music as an art form is now translating to how i do comedy because i think that for the most part music and dance are the only two art forms where the whole thing matters every second matters in a song a song isn't made to try to get to something whereas with stand-up you're trying to get to the joke as fast as you can you're trying to you know use an economy of words to to honestly use less words and and honestly i i I think that there's something to the idea of really trying to start writing comedy like you would write music and just see what an audience what an audience's reception to that is and i think that if if they really vibe with it, then I'll be on to something new. And if they don't, then I can go back to what I was doing before, you know. Would you say there's a little bit more freedom in writing music than comedy? As far as you talk about the economy of words, I've heard that term before because you're really, you don't want to waste time with what you're trying to get across, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a bit more freedom for me, especially since I'm not the one performing. So I, you know, I co-write this music and I, I co-produce it, especially in a sense, because Mike and, and Groove are so good that they rarely need me. So it's like, it's like, I'm there, <laughs> I'm there. I'm like, I'm out here like trying to help and everything, but like half the time they already got it. So then I, the, the lyrics are really where I, I get to help in the process and, and shine as a writer and stuff like that. And that is just no pressure at all. Cause I'm just having fun. And then someone else performs it beautifully. So then there's no pressure on me ever to the only pressure I feel now is to make sure that I do everything in my power to make sure that these projects are successful because now that there are other people involved, I don't want to let them down or let their work be in vain at all. Yeah. It's not like, friends that you grew up with and and not that you wouldn't care with them, but right. I mean, you've got people who are investing time finances, I'm sure to a point. So the pressure has to be a lot higher. Did you grow up in a family of creatives? Is that, I know you talk about this in your special, a little bit about doing theater and you tell some stories about football, (laughs) which is hilarious. By the way, I can totally relate to that. I was a theater nerd from middle school all the way, which is why I think I do a podcast in some sort of weird vain way. But did you have a family of creatives that encouraged this? Was comedy something that you always wanted to do or was it just the creative bug in general that was attractive to you? I think it was attractive in general. You know, my, my grandmother was very funny. She was very, very funny. And she would always do these impressions. And then she just had like, even when she was annoyed, she had a funny way of expressing it. And and I think that being around her so much and like letting some of that bleed into my personality as as well helped me a lot. But then also I think that 
there there's been overwhelming support from my family um especially as it started especially once they could see that i was good at it you know because because i think here's the thing i think that support is important but i also think just as much as people supporting you are the people who don't because right. now you have you have something to rally against you have someone to prove wrong sometimes a chip on someone's shoulder is actually better than someone pushing their back for them to move forward you know and maybe i'm kind of one of those people so it was almost like a little not you know it's it's champagne problems to complain that your family's too supportive but but it is a, a thing of like i think once they saw me they were like oh yeah i could see this and then i think up until then i was young enough that it was like oh yeah he does it it's like a little hobby or whatever but then when i moved into making it a, a job everyone was very supportive so even though i didn't grow up with like a bunch of comics in my family i think that both through them sort of seeing for me what I saw for myself helped. And then also I think that being around when I moved to Chicago, that's when I started doing comedy. And so then the comedians in Chicago sort of became this. Yeah. And every comic I'm sure that you've talked to expresses some, some form of this where it's like they become this sort of surrogate family because you know, the people at your level. So like, you know, when you're an open micer, you rally around other open micers and sure it's great if you have like a headliner friend, but that doesn't necessarily help you because even if they do you a bunch of favors and let you open for them and stuff, you're still not at their level. And right. so, so, you know, the class that I came in with, we, for the, for the most part stayed pretty tight, whether people quit or stayed in it. And then past that, you know, I still love checking in with them and stuff and then love running jokes by them. If, if I'm like, Hey, what do you think of this thing? Or, you know, has like, is this, is this original at all? That, that type of stuff is, is really important to me. And it's important to run it by people that you trust. And I think that I was lucky enough to have great people around me from the time that I started giving me great advice and just being good examples of what a comic should be like. And, and, uh, that also, I think helped me a lot to get in the mindset that I, that I am now. What made you choose to move to Chicago to start your career versus like some of the other cities that people go to, like LA or New York? What was the appeal? Yeah. So, so for the most part, it, it came down to a handful of things, a lot of college experiences. So I had a professor in college, um, Emily Hugator, who actually told me, you know, what she had, she had lived in Chicago. And then she told me that Chicago was a good place because it was the only secondary market in the U S. So it was the only place that you could really pop and get a taste of what popping feels like without okay. the actual pressure of of being in a first you know like like a primary market where you okay. have to worry about casting directors coming to see you all the time stuff like that yeah like at the comedy store god knows who's going to be there right i mean you could yeah. be doing you know performing in the belly room in front of like jeff ross or some you know crazy big name and like you want your first impression i guess that's the only part where you can sort of control who sees you, I guess, because yeah. you can be successful in Chicago. And then, you know, so you're from Louisiana, you grew up there, right? That's where you spent a lot of time. You moved to Chicago and then you're doing this, you're getting this experience and you're experiencing some success, success, obviously. Now, how did you come about working for writing? So you wrote for Fallon and then 
Trevor Noah. How did those jobs come about? Were those referrals for you, people that you knew? Because a lot of this is networking or, I mean, how do you get a job like that? That just is mind blowing to me. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff, I guess I only know in retrospect, like I wouldn't find out till later, but basically the, the Fallon of it started because I was trying to do a set on Fallon. So okay. then I sent over, you know, the video and the, the head writer at the time what, liked my video so much that, you know, he asked, would he be willing to send in a packet? And so I sent in a packet and, you know, was thinking like, okay, maybe I'll get to perform on the show because they like, they already liked it enough. They like my clip enough to, I'm still in the mindset of like, I'm going to be able to perform on the show eventually. And then they want me to send another packet. So I sent another one. And then a little bit later, I heard from them and they wanted to me to come in for an interview. So I came in for an interview and it was a, it was, um, a handful of the execs and some of the other like top senior writers and had, had a great chat with them. Like I didn't even think of it as an interview because especially when you, when you are talking to other comedians and other like comedic writers and all, all that stuff like that, if you find a flow, you find a flow. And, and I think that it was just, it was fun in the room. It was fun talking to them and everything. And then maybe, I don't know how long it took. Maybe it was a week later. I found out I got the job. And from there, you know, I wrote there for a little bit. And then I ended up like, I, <laughs> I left to pursue this pilot, which obviously did not work out since <laughs> you don't know me from a TV show. But, um, <laughs> but basically after that, you know, I was in this limbo where I was starting to tour a good bunch and I was starting to headline for the, for the first time and everything. And so I was excited about all that, but then I, what was it? I, I, I was trying to get a spot as a correspondent on Jordan Klepper's show. Okay. And through that, you know, I, it was great. I had some good conversations. I got to send in some video and then I actually got to test. And then in my test, um, someone was like, you should do a daily show packet too. And so I did a daily show packet on top of waiting to hear back from Klepper and everything. And then in that scenario, I got um, uh, an interview with Trevor and the other producers and stuff and just had another great conversation. Like I was very, I was very excited to meet everyone and everything and then got hired for the job. And I've been there since, and it's been, it's been great. I think that that, that on top of the same things I'm saying about music have already happened for me with Daily Show, where working with those writers and, and being part of that process has really shaped my stand-up to be stronger. Now, when you're hired for a show like Fallon or The Daily Show and you're submitting these packets, which for our listeners, essentially you're putting together samples, right, for them to see how you write, what kind of voice are you writing in? Are you hired to write monologues for these folks or are you hired to write sketches or are you hired to be in a room with a bunch of other writers and then whoever stands out the most your material makes it to air every week is that kind of how it works i mean i i 
can't say for certain exactly because that's that that kind of that description I think is true and all encompassing of all experiences. Okay, but I think that that when you talk about each individual show and person, it gets it gets very specific. You know, okay. like when I was at Fallon, I was hired to write monologue jokes. Okay, and so they would they they would welcome other ideas it's not as if i could couldn't write a sketch or couldn't pitch a game or you know like those things are open to you but but your primary is is monologue and stuff and so so i think it really depends on the show and what that show is looking for at the time i love it and the trevor noah show i guess is getting ready to come back here lee's been taping from home i guess but you guys are getting ready to go back to live audiences in the fall. I want to ask, because I'm very curious about this, when you're doing this and you're having this level of success, let's talk about Trevor, because that's your current experience. And I'm asking just out of curiosity, and I think because our audience finds this very fascinating, because it's very different from my world of wine sales. (laughs) So uh, it's very curious. Do you go to Trevor and his team and say, I want to do a stand-up special? I want to get myself out there and I want people to do this. How does that, you don't have to be specific, obviously. I mean, I'm not asking for like dirty details, but I'm curious, like as somebody who's in this position, is it welcome to come and want to do that kind of stuff? Like, how do you figure out the way to do it and decide, you know, I'm going to talk to my bosses. Is it the same way or I don't know how it works. I'm just very curious, Josh. Yeah. I mean, it did, it didn't really go that way at all. You know, I think that it's a, it's a testament to how much um, Trevor cares about comedy and other voices that, that, that was never a conversation that I had to broach. You know, I got offered the comedy central special and Trevor was producing. So it wasn't as if, you know, I had to really think about, Oh man, maybe he would or anything like that. Cause I think that that also to me, at least, especially in very specific situations, I think that you, no matter who you may be connected to tangentially, directly, any of that, I think that it's very important for every artist, comic person that wants to pursue anything creative, uh, to, to really figure out how to make your own way. And, and so I didn't really, you know, ever approach him specifically in that in that way and I was I was like so grateful and like you know excited and taken aback that that this came about the way it did just off of you know him thinking oh this person should have a special you know I love it I mean you have the trifecta really like you have a great career you have a great life writing and you get to tour you have a fantastic special that is now out on Comedy Central. It's your first hour special. Hilarious, my friend. I love it. I, I'm 46, but I relate to your jokes and your persona on stage, your point of view, your pacing. I it just I was wrong. I've watched it probably four or five times long before. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> it's true. Before we even set this up, because I was like, this is brilliant. And you do a fantastic job. I'm excited to see what is next for you and the future is very bright my friend if people want to watch this they can head to comedy central it's streaming i think it's like a part of every basic cable package so there's no reason to not see it yeah i think i think so and it's actually going to be on paramount plus in august so i'm I'm excited for that as well more streaming platforms to choose from we'll link all of this in our show notes josh if people 
want to connect with you or follow you on social media or find out more about your career and all the work that you've done, how can they do that? Okay. So this is, this is going to be a mouthful. Uh, so on Instagram, you can find me at Josh Johnson comedy on Facebook at Josh J comedy, Twitter at Josh Johnson and YouTube at Josh Johnson comedy, where I also post clips of my podcast, the Josh Johnson show. It's where I talk with my buddy. We share stories about being on the road as comedians and life and love all that good stuff. Um, and then if you want to check out Elusive, which is the project that I worked on that's music and comedy, it's anywhere that you listen to streaming. I love it. And we will put all of this in our show notes for people to easily connect with. Josh, thank you for joining me today on the Brett Allen Show. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was great to talk to you. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.